Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. Welcome to the Happy Healthy Teachers podcast. I'm Karen Tui Boys, and I am passionate about creating lifelong learners. And kia ora, I'm Megan Gallagher. I'm a teacher, a coach, and writer, and I'm passionate about teacher well-being which is fantastic for today's topic, I reckon. Yes, because we are going to be talking about a well-being topic. We're going to be talking about decision fatigue. What is it? How do you reduce it? How do you even know you've got it? And what do you do about it? Yeah. Yeah, so let's jump in. Yeah, well, teaching is like, when you think about teaching, we make a massive amount of decisions. I was reading just recently a piece of, of, I think it was a blog or something, but they were quoting some research from the 80s and 90s that said that teachers make on average 1,500, that's 1,500 decisions every day. And if you calculate that for an eight hour day, that's making three decisions per minute at least. Per minute? Per minute. And probably more if you think about, you know, you're not probably making quite so many decisions when you're eating your lunch or drinking your coffee or whatever at morning tea time. So probably more when you're in the classroom with your students. I don't know. I probably make a lot of decisions when I'm eating my lunch. After lunch, I'm going to do this and this, and then I need to do this and this and this, and I'm planning. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. It'd be interesting well, to have our listeners' feedback on that one. When do you not make decisions and when do you <laughs> make a lot of decisions? Because I don't know that that downtime we have is truly downtime. Not, for the, brain. not for the brain anyway. <laughs> So do you want to tell us a little bit about what decision fatigue is then? Well, decision fatigue is this idea that when you are asleep, your brain brings up this, makes up this well of chemicals to be able to have you great the next day and then be able to make decisions. But the problem is the more decisions we make, we only get so much bandwidth. And I think we've talked about this before, Meg, but out of all the things that are so important for our health and well-being, sleep is pretty high up there. It's actually straight after air and water and then sleep. It's before food. And so while we're sleeping, all these incredible things happen and our brain processes everything and puts it in different places. And then what happens is we have this bandwidth. We have, it fills your bucket up of ability to be able to make decisions. And then every decision we make is like tipping a little bit out of the bucket. And by the end of the day, we often end up with nothing left. Because as you said, we are making so many decisions and that's just in the classroom. That's not making decisions for what are you going to have for lunch and making decisions about how you're going to get to work today or what are you going to wear, you know, all those tiny wee decisions that take up this bandwidth. So actually, here's an example that I love. Have you ever, have you ever done this, Meg? You've gone to the supermarket to do the shopping and you're on a bit of a health thing. So you're like, I'm not doing any chocolate biscuits. I'm not getting any of the bad stuff. I'm just going to get healthy food. 
And you've also got your young child with you and all the way through the supermarket, they go, can I have, can I have, can I have? And you're like, no, 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 because on this healthy thing, all right? So, and there's nothing wrong with being on a healthy thing, right? But here's what happens. You've made so many decisions about what you're going to have and what you're going to put in your trolley and what you're not going to put in your trolley, which is often the harder decision. And then you get to the checkout, What's at the checkout, Meg? Oh, that's where all the yummy chocolates are, I find. <laughs> I find too. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, you can't say no to yourself anymore. And particularly your child's like, can I have, can I have? And you've said no so many times. You're just like, oh, just one. And by the way, I can never do one. It always has to be two. I don't know why some freaky <laughs> part of me. I just buy one thing. I always have to buy two. If I go into this garage after paying my petrol, I can, and I think, oh, I'll just have a little chocolate, but I always have to buy two. Don't know what that's about. Really? I know. <laughs> a little weird. Maybe I could talk to the counselor about that one. <laughs> Add it to the list. But this is this bandwidth because we've run out of this decision-making ability. And what we've been using for some of it throughout that supermarket was our willpower. And again, we have this bucket of willpower and now we've got none left and then everything just feels like it crumbles. Yeah. And I know, like I know for me with school, you know, one of the worst times for me was coming home. And obviously we've certainly my bucket was empty and standing in front of the fridge and trying to work out what to have for tea. And in the meantime, what I've done is I've opened up a packet of biscuits and I've eaten a few biscuits and then I've sort of seen the cheese. So I've grabbed a couple of slices of cheese and and as I'm uh, sort of rifling through, still don't know what we're going to have for tea. But in the meantime, I've had an amazing amount of, of food that isn't really going to help me get through the rest of the evening in, in good form. And then by the time I've got tea, I'm kind of full. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to eat the veggies that I've managed to cook for myself. I'm always impressed that you only eat some of the biscuits because, again, <laughs> I need the whole packet. <laughs> That's because like, I know I'm going to repeat it the next day. We've got to have some left over. No, <laughs> another packet. That's why we have none in our house because, yeah, once I start, I have to keep going. Again, yeah, we'll put that down on Karen's list for counselling. But <laughs> Actually, though, Karen, that, that leads into how you can actually manage that decision fatigue in one point, like exactly, just don't put that stuff there. Correct. I don't have it in my house, so therefore yeah. it stops the temptation. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's also noticing the triggers for that. Normally it's when I'm tired and I know that a boost of sugar is going to keep me going instead of what I really need is to go and have a sleep hmm. or just go and take a rest or go for a walk or get some fresh air or just do something different. Or eat an apple. Or eat an apple, Yes. So tell us, Meg, what are some of the things that you do to stop that decision fatigue? So, so obviously, instead of having to rifle around in the fridge at night after when you're tired, what do you do? So, and I actually got this from you, is about men, menu planning or meal planning. So planning out the week ahead and saying what we're going to have each night. And the, the beautiful thing about that is that it saved us heaps of money in terms of wasting food as well because we just don't shop for stuff that we're not going to eat that week. And so it's kind of planned out. And you've still got flexibility. So if you come in and you sit there and go, I really, 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 really desperately do not feel like having that tonight, you can swap your meals over. But it's, but that, 
the big decisions are already made because you've mapped it out. And you've also then been able to look at what's happening that afternoon. So how much time will I have to cook? What can I pre-cook? And so all of that planning is done. I love it. And it's, it's made a massive difference for us. For And then the healthy food that we eat, we eat far healthier foods too, because we're not trying to cook up something quick and eat a packet of biscuits while we're doing it. This comes, I want to tell you, I just want to credit where credit's due. I got yeah. it from Lauren Parsons. So isn't she amazing? So yes, so she's been teaching this for years and she talks about if you're cooking a stew or a curry or something to cook a triple or quadruple batch and before you serve it that night, put two or three batches in containers ready to go into the freezer and then just eat your one batch because if you put it all out, guess what happens? <laughs> Half of it instead of, you know, what you were really going to. And so then you end up with, after you do this for a while, you end up with a, a library of meals in your freezer, which I just love because it's like mm. on those days where you know that you haven't got a lot of time, you've got sports practice or you've got to get to the gym or you've got a meeting or something. You're like, right, I know this is what I can have. It's quick and easy. It's fast. I can just grab it out, heat it up. And or as your children get older, you can say, grab it out, heat it up if they're hungry. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. And I think another wonderful presenter that we've had just recently at the Teachers Matter Online Summit was Sally Foley-Lewis, who was talking about sunrise and sunset sort of routines. And and I love that because there's, there's things like, I know, I know you have an amazing morning routine. And for me, thing, little things like, at night time, I put out my clothes so that I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear the next day. It's cleaning your desk off and having your work sitting ready to go the next day before you leave. I, When I leave my classroom, I put the timetable up for the following day as I leave in the date so that that's already done before I get to school. I, I loved all those little, those little tips and tricks too. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, and even just having your to-do list sorted the night before, so then you don't have to wake up in the morning and go, what am I going to do today? You know, and I very carefully and closely plan my days so that my morning routine, which I think we've talked about before on this podcast, is my 20-20-20, so 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of reflection or goal setting or affirmations or gratitude, and then 20 minutes of learning every single day and before I do any of that like it's timetabled in but I number one I put my exercise gear out the night before so as soon as I get out of bed I put my exercise gear on so it's what James Clear calls in his book Atomic Habits habit stacking and mm. so if I've got the gear on now the habit is I go and do the exercise and when I do the exercise then I do the next thing and then I do the next thing so it just leads on because it's my routine the important thing is that I do not pick up my phone before this. I do not check my emails. I do not look at my social media. I do not do any of that because that would take up bandwidth. So mm. I spend my first hour, and by the way, if you don't have an hour, then do a 10, 10, 10, 15, 15, 15, do a 5, 5, 5 if you have to, but do something that's your routine that's for you first thing in the morning. And I do mine at 5 a.m. 
don't turn us off but uh, i don't there's something amazing about 5am and there's something soul filling when you know that you are doing something that most people aren't willing to do for yourself and there's such a quiet stillness and calmness and of course when you've got clear skies and sparkly stars twinkling at you at that time of morning it's so magical and special so yeah turn don't turn on any of that meg what is it you told me once about uh, turning your social media on as soon as you wake up? Oh, now I heard this from somebody and I can't credit the person because I can't remember their name, which is a terrible thing. But they talked about when we turn on our social media in our bedrooms in the morning, we're actually, you know, we're kind of like inviting all those people into our bedroom. So think about what you look like in the morning and how you feel in the morning and how you engage with people in the morning. I know that's not my time for being sparkling. <laughs> I can be pretty terrifying in the morning. And I can guarantee you, I would not invite a couple of hundred of my associates, friends, let alone the rest of the world, into my bedroom to have a chat with me at that time, because that's not a good time to be chatting to me about stuff. And so, so they, they said, you know, if you if you create this image of who are you actually inviting into your day at that time, and is that a time when you would normally engage with those people, that then helps you to sort of break the habit of picking up that cell phone. Mm -hmm. it's a great I, rem, I remember that every morning if I'm tempted to get grab my cell phone first thing in the morning and it's less of a habit for me now but originally when I started the sunrise routine it was a bit of a habit but what I noticed was if I do that fills up my bandwidth really quickly because then I go to do my yoga in the morning and I'm thinking about the email or I'm thinking about who I have just found out has passed away overnight, or I'm thinking about, and I don't mean someone close, I mean like maybe it was a celebrity or someone, and then my thoughts start to fill. Now, I actually have made the clear decision that I that can wait if it's, you know, unless it's earth-shattering for my life and I need to know, then someone will let me know earlier, but it can wait until 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock when I decide that's when I'm going to let all of that stuff in. Yeah, and it's about that, about owning that. And I think that's also ties in with the work that you talk or the things you talk about around multitasking. You know, yes. if, if we've constantly got that stuff coming in, then we're actually asking our brain to do too many things at the same time or at a similar time. Yes, well, you see, multitasking is such a myth. And I know that as females particularly, we've been going around as a human species saying to the men, we can multitask and you can't. But actually, it's a total lie. And John Medina, who's written this incredible book called The 12 Brain Rules, talks about that the brain is biologically incapable of processing information, rich inputs simultaneously. Now, I think that's the key part. Information, rich inputs simultaneously yeah. so yes you can pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time well some of us can because you're not actually it's not a it's not a rich input that's coming in it's but more like a habit yes you can breathe and walk at the same time or as my husband says I can uh, read and go to the bathroom at the same time he says I'm multitasking either of which maybe one of them's a rich input <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go on to the other one. No, 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 we don't. <laughs> but studies show, and I found this fascinating, that studies show that if you someone's interrupted, it takes 50% longer to get a task accomplished. And wonderful Steve Francis at our Teachers Matter Online Summit last year at his masterclass actually 
did an activity with the people on the masterclass and showed us and it was absolutely shocking how long much longer it took when we were trying to do two things at once Mm. but the other statistic that I thought was fascinating is we are more likely to make 50% more mistakes when we're multitasking because we're actually task switching aren't we rather than yes multitasking so our brain is switching backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and that's exhausting Yeah, and when your brain is switching, while you're on task A, you don't know what's happening on task B and you don't know what's happening on task C. And then you switch to B and you don't know what's happening on A or C. And then you switch to C and you don't know what's happening on A or B. Now, here's the challenge. We go all the way back to A and we've missed some of what was going on because we were focused on something else. And so then we make up the gist, G-I-S-T, and basically we are making stuff up. We are going, I don't know what happened, I'll just make it up of what we think we missed, but it's not really what happened. And that's and that's really that that comes out really clearly when you're in a party or you're in a meeting where people are talking and you and you tune into somebody's conversation and start participating with that, and then you tune into another one. And then you try to come back and 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 you're right, you're sitting there working on these half made up stories that you've created for yourself so that you can just join in on everybody's conversations. Yes. Yeah. I always really admire those people who, when you're having a conversation with them, they are totally focused. Their eyes don't go off the person. And I'm like, wow, look at that concentration and that focus. And I think as teachers, we need to practice a little bit more of that in our classroom as well. When a child is talking to us, that we are talking to that child. And yes, we have to know that so-and-so over here is fiddling with something and -and so-and-so over here is doing something they shouldn't. But can we really at times be truly present? Yeah, and look, there's this wonderful old saying that's energy flows where attention goes. Mm. And I think, you know, when you think about all the decisions that we make in a day, it feels like our energy is being divided because our attention is so divided. You know, we've got... 26, 27, 28 kids in our class, maybe more. And we're trying to, our attention is on all these different children in our groups and our classes on what we're going to do next. And if that doesn't work, what the next plan is. So we've got plan A, B and C and D, maybe the rest of the alphabet going on in our heads all all the time while trying to have a conversation with the person in front of us. And actually the conversation with the person or people in front of us takes longer as you were saying, Karen, because our our attention is so divided, and so we're constantly popping our head up to check on where everybody else is, and then we have to come back to where we were. That reminds me also that working with Art Costa and Ben Akalik and the habits of mind, and one of the habits to be aware of is to manage your impulsivity. And to stop and just let things maybe happen, not obviously if there's, it's life-threatening or someone's going to get hurt or injured, or but not to jump in too early. And also one of the things I know that I have to watch out when I'm teaching is those random thoughts that come into my head that they don't also come back out of my mouth, that I <laughs> stay on one topic and go randomly off onto something else. Poor kids must go, where did that come from? Uh, but being able to manage my impulsivity and say hey that's something I can talk about later or that's not appropriate for this conversation and just stick to the one thing I think one thing is is the key and and I think there's also that space where we 
um, at the start of our year, at the start of our days, where we actually set up our expectations for how things are going to run. You know, we, we make sure that everybody's in on the game of when we're working with a group, this is how everybody else is behaving. Because this is about everybody being part of this learning community and making it easier for others to learn. And then and then talking, actively talking about what we're doing with our attention. Um, and how we're managing our decision making because teachers aren't the only people that get decision fatigue. And so this is actually, you know, how in education we're not only teaching reading, writing and maths. We're teaching about being good humans. This is this is part of that human human um, education that we're doing in our classrooms. And, and hopefully by modelling it and talking about it with our students, then they, they will then learn how to do this. Absolutely. That would be good. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. There's one final thing, well, maybe not final, but one thing that actually is also really important in this around our own teacher well-being is our own personal well-being is our identity and who we see ourselves in this. Because do you see yourself as someone who is always flustered and always busy and always overworked? Or do you see yourself as someone who is your identity, someone who is organized and just, you know, can go with the flow when things change and flexible? So I think identity is an important part and working on that. Who do you want to be so that you can have and do the things that you want to have and do in your life? Yeah. And, and it's about knowing who, what's the best version of myself I want to be. And then, and then taking small steps to get there. Mm. And I know like one example for me is that I was terrible with flossing. You know, I'd get, and flossing doesn't take terribly long, but I'd be sitting there at the end of a long day going, oh, I'm so tired. I'll just miss my flossing tonight. I'll be fine. I'll catch up tomorrow. And of course you do that enough days in a row and then you decide that you just don't need to do it. But what I've noticed for myself now is that I'll get to that point at night and I'll go into the doing the teeth brushing thing and I'll go, oh, I feel so tired. I just want to go to bed. And then I hear myself say, but I'm a person who flosses their teeth. And so then I floss my teeth because that's who I am now. And how I've, and I don't, I, I don't actually think I actively made that, made the decision to call myself that. But it's a really tiny example of how once you've established your identity, then you can actually start working towards it. Yeah. And my dentist is very happy I floss every day now. <laughs> That's why you've got beautiful teeth. So just to clarify that identity, you see, if you say something like, if, if you want to give up smoking, for instance, or any habit, and yeah. you say, I'm, I haven't had a cigarette for two days. I haven't had a cigarette for a week. I haven't had a cigarette for a month. The identity is still, I am a smoker. It's not until you can shift your identity to, I am a non-smoker, or I do not eat sugar, or I am not a binge eater, or whatever it is that you're trying to change, and you actually want to, I wouldn't want, I'm, I'm hesitating with using the word not in that sentence, mm. rather than saying, I, I'm, I, eat only, I eat healthy food or I breathe clean, fresh air every day. And so that you focus on what you want rather than what you don't want in that identity. It's a little bit like when you say, and somebody's giving up smoking, where one person might say, I'm trying to give up smoking. You know, no thanks, I'm trying to give up, as opposed to the other person who says, no thanks, I'm a non-smoker. One is, one is an identity that's, that's outside of being a smoker. And that person's far more likely 
to, to continue to be a non-smoker because they've attached their identity to that. Absolutely. So one of the things I do every week is I rate my week according to my values and my identity. So I have five lifetime goals of who I want to become. And then I have five values that I try and maintain throughout throughout each week through, you know, getting, and this is about, am I getting better at this? And so I rate my week and I go through at the end of each week and go, you know, did I have an impact? Did I maintain a loving relationship this week? Was I authentic? Was I disciplined in who I want to be this week? So, you know, not every week's perfect and you definitely have the ups and downs or the wiggles of the river. I actually really like that idea rather than the ups and downs. Did I have inner harmony this week? And so I rate myself on that. And so then I can go in the next week. What am I going to do to make sure I have more inner harmony this week? What am I going to do to maintain my loving relationship with my husband this week? So it helps me in my goal setting and it helps me in my success. And then that helps you to make decisions that are aligned with who you are, even even when you're making a million other decisions. Absolutely. So it all ties in beautifully together. So choose choose something that you want to focus on, maybe for a month. I think we've said this before, but I love just having a focus for a month. This month, I'm going to work on breathing deeply and uh, getting oxygen into my lungs. Or this month, I'm going to work on drinking water. Or this month, I'm going to work on my morning routine. Or not picking up my phone is the first thing I do when I wake up. So spend a month just working on it and just see what happens to your ability to make those decisions and to reduce that fatigue. Good luck. (laughs) And please let us know how you get on with that. Absolutely. Because what you do matters and we'd love to be able to help you more. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Matter podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators. So please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. It really helps. And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.